0: Good morning. Uh, Yep, I am Chris's brother and, you know, easy way to tell us his part is that, you know, I'm the younger, better looking one. And so that'll always, I love that joke. (laughs) It never gets old. I'm really thankful that you'd let me be here today. I'm thankful for Mount Pleasant and the impact you have in the community and the world. And I'm just honored that you'd invite me here. I want you to think about something with me as we begin. You know, the first century followers of Jesus, all of them at one time were unbelievers and sinners. I mean, every single one of them. And when Jesus invited them into a relationship with him, when he invited them to follow him, he invited, the invitation was to unbelievers and sinners, which is a profound thought, I know. But it wasn't until the end of his ministry that people who actually touched him, who heard him, who spent time with him, it wasn't until then that they actually came to a full-blown faith in Him. And here is why that is great news for me. When I had questions and doubts, when I, at points in my life, was running from God, He invited me to follow Him. He invited me into a relationship with Him. And that's true of you as well. You, all of us, every one of us has been invited to follow Jesus with questions and doubts not being perfect. We've been invited into a relationship with him. And as you've gone through this golden resolution series, the hope has been that you would lean into the teachings of Jesus, into the wisdom of his teaching. And that if you have chosen to place your trust in him, that your life then would begin to reflect the one that you claim to follow. Now, if you don't follow Jesus, then our hope has been really simple, that you would lean into these teachings and that you would understand that regardless of where you are, regardless of what your life is like, regardless of your lifestyle, where you've been, what you've done, where you are in your obedience or, or your knowledge, regardless of where you are in your faith, that you also have been invited into a relationship with Jesus. And he did that. He invited you in because he willingly chose to give his life. His generosity was displayed When he offered his life for yours and mine. But if that's true, if he's invited us in, if there's many of us here today who have placed our trust in him, what does that mean? Or what does that look like in our lives? Or better yet, what should a relationship with Jesus look like in our lives? What should our life reflect? I, a few years ago, went into a Walmart And uh, I'm from Savannah, Georgia, and so I have no idea what's happening outside right now, just so you're clear. All right? None. I went into a Walmart in Georgia, and my sons, my two boys were with me and my wife, and they were kind of standing at the front of the store. And I got in the line at the self-checkout line. You've been there probably, been in that line. You get in the line and there's six or however many self-checkouts, and you wait, and then you go and do it. And so I just kind of made my through way of the line because I'm a really patient guy and uh, made my way up and got to the front of the line. And as I got up there, this guy comes up, and he stands right next to me. And he said, hey, man, which one are you going to? And I was like, I'm going to the next one. <laughs> He's like, oh, no, no, you can't do that. you got to choose one. I'm, I'm choosing the next one. That's the one I'm choosing, because that's the way it's done. I don't know how it happens in your world, but in this world, you wait in a line. Look, there's a lady here and there and there, and that's where you should be. And then you get up here and you choose. He says, that's not the way it works. It works like that here. And then I got big, (laughs) because you're not cutting in front of me. It ain't happening. I'm like this. I see my wife, I'm like... We're watching, you know, I'm tensed, and the next one comes and I go and check out. Oh my gosh. I get up to my wife and I see her and she's standing there like this. She goes, she goes, Do you know who was watching you? I said, Did you see somebody from church? No. Your boys were watching you. I'm like, good. They need to be watching. You understand, you can't do that, and you've got to stand up. You can't, nobody's going to stand up for you. Boys, look at me. You've got to stand up because you're right, and they're wrong. That's the way, let's go. And so we left. About a week later, when Jolene started talking to me again, (laughs) I realized that I needed to apologize, right? Because it was in that moment that I did not reflect a relationship with Jesus, I mean, there was a moment there when I could have chosen to be different, when I could have been gracious, when I could have been generous, when I could have set an example for this man, even though he was wrong. There was a moment when I could have done unto someone what I wish someone would have done unto me, and I didn't. What I chose was my own wisdom, and in doing so, I impacted my son's life and my wife's life and the people around me in a way that I never really intended to. You see, in life, there is a principle of reciprocity. You've heard it, right? It's go, you're going to get what's coming to you. It's that principle of reciprocity. But here's the thing, that principle is also alive in Scripture. And it was consistently modeled by Jesus, and he talked about it. And you and I are going to have to understand it if we're going to ever reflect the one that we claim to follow. So in Luke chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus says this, and you see that principle. He says, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Reciprocity. Do not condemn others or it will come back against you. Reciprocity. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. It's reciprocity. Your gift, though, is going to return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over, poured out into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you give back. And then Jesus gave the following illustration. Can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? Students are not greater than the teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. When you and I choose to be generous with our lives, Jesus says, not only are you going to receive it back, it's going to be more than you can handle and you're going to become like him. When you choose kindness, you get to experience kindness. When you grant forgiveness, you get to experience forgiveness. When you offer understanding, you get to experience understanding. And when we're generous with our lives, we get back in ways that we could never imagine or we've never seen before. And that is the kind of thing I believe, and I think you probably do too, that our world needs today more than any other. When we choose to be generous with our lives, we begin to reflect that God who was so generous with us. And today, I wanna encourage you to be generous with your love. At the end of Jesus's life, he brings the guys together and he brings them in and he chooses to wash their feet as an example. And then they have a meal and at the meal, he points out who is going to betray him. And then he gives them what he calls a new command. And then he says, I need you to know this because I'm leaving, I'm getting ready to leave. And in John 13, 34, we get to see that. He says, so now I'm giving you, after all of this, I'm about to leave. So now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other, to which all of us might say, well, that's not new, right? I mean, I've heard that, my whole these guys had heard that their whole lives, right? I know you've heard it, I've heard it, and I think Jesus would say, hey, I know you've heard it, but I'm not done yet, right? I want you to love each other just as I have loved you. You should love one another. If you forget anything else, if you forget everything else I say, you are to love one another, not the way the world loves, not the way you love each other. Jesus says, I want you to love people the way that I have loved you. Don't you know, then he looks at Matthew and he says, Matthew, you remember that day that we walked up on you and you were collecting taxes? Do you remember how people felt about you? And I said, Matthew... Before you've changed a thing, Matthew, before you've even decided what you believe about me, before you even really know me, Matthew, will you follow me? You remember, Matthew, how it felt on that day? Yeah. Well, I want you to love people the way that I loved you on that day. Hey, Nathaniel, you remember the first thing that you said about me? Remember the first thing that came out of your mouth? You remember, I mean, the first thing you said, I remember this specifically, John, write this down, right? You said, can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, you pretty much dumped on my whole family, my town, my relatives. You remember when you said that? <laughs> yeah. How did I respond? I said, Nathaniel, will you come and follow me? Hey, you guys remember that day I preached that sermon about eat my flesh and drink my blood and everybody freaked out and wanted to leave? You guys thought about leaving. I mean, you were looking around at each other. You remember what happened that day? You remember the day that you thought abandoning me and the day that I chose to never abandon you? I want you to love people like I loved you on that day. When I say I want you to love people, that's the way that I want you to love people. And then he says in verse 35, your love for one another is gonna prove to the world that you are my disciples. He, go, he says to those guys, to you and me, it's by this kind of love, loving the way that I have loved you, by this love, everyone is gonna know you're my disciple and that you're my follower. In other words, this is the mark, right? This is the thing. This is what people are gonna see. This is, I, this is how I want people to distinguish you. This is the thing about you that I want them to look at and to see and feel and experience and go, oh, man, they must be a Jesus follower. Now, Peter, because he's Peter and he does Peter things, Right? He just wants to skip right over the love one another part and go to the part about Jesus leaving. He says to Jesus, Jesus, you're going, you know, you said you were leaving, where are you going? Don't you know Jesus like, look, dude, I gave you the main thing. Yes, I'm leaving, we'll talk about that, but I just gave you the main thing and all you can do is focus on something else and I just think that's a lot like us. Yeah, 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 I mean, I get it. Love one another. But Ken, you don't know my wife, right? I mean, she just has this thing that she does. And I, you don't know my husband. I mean, he is just such a jerk sometimes. My kids make it hard and I've got this friend and you know, I know love one another, but there's this guy at work. You don't actually mean him, right? And Jesus says, listen, this isn't a throwaway line. This isn't a religious line. This isn't something you blend into a worship song. I'm telling you, this is what I want to mark your life. You see, the problem with all religions, including Christianity, is there is a gravitational pull away from treating people well and towards some kind of routine or ritual in our life toward rule keeping and away from relationship building. And we get caught in this religious routine of bringing our sin bucket into God and dumping it on him and then feeling better about ourselves and then going back and living the same old life we've always been living, filling that bucket up again and again. And Jesus says, I want you to break out of that habit. I want to be really clear. Jesus says, the thing that is going to distinguish you is not the way you try to make yourself look on the outside. The thing that is going to distinguish you is the way that I have loved you because it changes you on the inside and then it pours out of you to other people. The thing that has to be a stamp on your behavior, a stamp on your lifestyle is the way you love other people. And I'm not asking you to love them the way they deserve to be loved. I'm asking you to love them the way that I have loved you. That is what I want to characterize your life and distinguish you as one of my followers. And do you think that kind of love would make a difference in the world that you and I live in today? Brennan Manning in his book, Abba's Child, wrote this, "...the Christian commitment that is not visible in humble service, suffering, discipleship, and creative love is an illusion." Jesus Christ is impatient with illusions and the world has no interest in abstractions. When being is divorced from doing, pious thoughts become an adequate substitute for washing dirty feet. You see, it's so easy to confuse discipline with discipleship. Discipline makes me look good on the outside. Discipline makes me, I do those things that make me look good on the outside when people look. In fact, you know, this year, you know, that New Year's resolution, and I know it's going to be hard to tell because I'm in the sweater bundled up because of the cold, but I've been working out a lot this year. I'm not sure why you laughed at that. I've been working out a lot this year, and you know, everybody takes selfies, and so I thought I'd take a selfie to show you what discipline can do. I think we have a picture of it. It's pretty awesome, right? (laughs) Humility forbade me from doing that on stage. That's why I brought the selfie. And so, but discipline can do that to you, right? I mean, you can discipline yourself and buffet your body and become like that, but the truth is that's not going to make you whole, right? You can't just work out, but you also have to eat well because it matters what's going on the inside, and that's what discipline does. Discipline works well on the outside, but discipleship is what happens to you on the inside, and it's so easy to think that as long as I have my disciplines, my prayer time, I go to church, I don't, and I do, and I do, and I don't, that people are going to see what a great follower I am. And Jesus says, that is not what's going to distinguish you. Do I want you to do that? Yes, absolutely yes, I want you to do it. Do that. But I want the devotion to make its way out of you and into the way you live and move and engage in this world. So here's what happens, 20 years go by, and Paul, this guy who was completely apart from God 20 years before when this happened, he kind of gives takes this teaching and he breaks it down into application for every one of our lives, every one of us. And he, he's, Paul took this idea of loving each other and he made specific words. He gave us words. He gave us a description of the kinds of, of, the kinds of things that should distinguish the way we love people, what we to be generous with, In his letter to the church at Colossae, he talks about how you and I are supposed to love. In Colossians 3, verse 12, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, as people that I've invited to come into a relationship and follow me, wholly and dearly loved, this is how he loves you, this is how he feels about you, I want you to clothe yourselves or put on or reflect or be generous with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He gives us an idea of what loving people is going to look like in our lives, of what being generous with our lives will look like as a follower of Jesus. And he begins by saying, be generous with your compassion. And compassion is an amazing word in Scripture. The word was actually not found previous to this when it's used in the New Testament. It comes from the writers of the Gospels, those who saw Jesus firsthand. And the theory is that they didn't have quite the word to describe or use for how Jesus responded to people. And so they created this word. It's the Greek word, splontnizomai. And it means this. It means to be moved as to one's bowels, which is a, a weird thought. But they believed that love and pity were, the seat of love and pity were your bowels because you felt it in your stomach. And so, so they, hence they moved with compassion. That's where they got the idea. The word carries the idea that we don't just actually look at somebody and go, oh man, that's too bad. But you actually have pity. You actually feel what other people are going through. That you feel what people are experiencing. Regardless of the fact that maybe they were wrong regardless of the fact that they could have kept it from happening, regardless of the fact that they didn't listen the first three times. I mean, we can have all kinds of excuses for why we don't extend compassion, but Paul says, I want you to put this on. I want you to be generous with your compassion. And here's what this means for you and me, for us. So many times our lives are going to intersect with other people's lives and the messiness of other people's lives. How do I know people's lives are messy? Because my life gets messy. And all I do is turn on the TV or look at Facebook to know people's lives are messy. We are going to encounter deep physical need and deep spiritual need just like Jesus did. Because there is so much hurt around us and in the world and in places where there is very little help of any kind. And here is what matters most. Their spiritual lostness, eternity is at stake for these people. And he says, I want you to choose compassion We can choose love over our fear or over our own comfort. Listen, we cannot make everything different, but you can make a difference. Not everything is going to change, but much of it can change when you choose to be generous with compassion, when you love people the way that he has loved you. He goes on and says, I want you to be generous with your kindness and You know what kindness is. Matt gave us the definition of kindness a couple of weeks ago. He said the quality of being friendly and generous and considerate. Kindness is when you loan your strength to someone else. Kindness is someone needs something to be done for them and and you do it for them. You extend, you extend yourself, you loan yourself, you loan your strength to them. This is what happens every week at your impact centers. Listen to me, the degree to which you are willing to be interrupted and uncomfortable in life is the degree to which God will use you. The degree to which you are willing to loan your strength to someone else, to other people is the degree to which God will use you. The the degree to which you will be kind in people's lives and extend kindness and be generous with kindness is the degree to which God will use you in people's lives. But he doesn't stop there. He gets to my favorite one, which is be generous with your humility. He says, put on compassion and kindness, and then I want you to put on humility. And humility is seeing myself as I really am in relation to other people and to God. It's viewing myself accurately. And an accurate view of myself, of ourselves, is that we're a part of this world just like everyone else. There is an equality among us, and the thing that makes me special, the thing that makes you special, isn't that you're better looking or you can run faster or you have more money or more talent or more opportunity or you're smarter or you know more or you have the right view or you were born into the right family. The thing that makes us special is that God the Father has loved us. It's the only thing that makes us special. The thing that makes us special, humility allows me to approach you as a peer, no matter what you do or don't do, how much you have or don't have, how old you are or, or not, and, and, and what you know or what you don't know. In practical terms, Paul is saying, when you interact with people, I want you to come across as someone who understands that nothing you can do or, or what position you have makes you special. What makes you special is the same thing that makes everyone special, that God who has invited all of us to call him father, loves us unconditionally. That's the thing that makes us special. And Paul says, I want you to reflect that kind of humility in people's lives. And then he says, be generous with your gentleness. And This is the one my wife said I needed to pay attention to because it's a great word. Gentleness is the decision to respond in light of someone else's strengths and weaknesses instead of responding out of my strength. This is what I tend to do in my life. I respond out of what I know or what I think to be right. I respond out of my strength or my knowledge instead of considering someone else's strength, someone else's place, someone else's knowledge. My wife called me last night and And she's in Colorado because her father has had a stroke. He has COVID and he had a stroke and was hospitalized and they're trying to figure it out. And she was pretty emotional on the phone. And, you know, me, because I'm a man, I want to fix things, right? That's what we do, ladies, right? I see every woman went like this. That's right. And she said, I just need you to listen. She didn't need me to respond out of my strength or my stupidity. She just needed me respond with gentleness because gentleness is a strong hand with a soft touch. It's a tender, compassionate approach towards others' weaknesses and limitations. And then he doesn't stop there. He gets really good. He says, I want you to be generous with your patience. And patience is deciding to go the speed of another person. You know what patience is? Patience is being on 37. And you're behind that person in front of you who wants to drive really slow. And then you look over and there's somebody on the left and they're driving the exact same speed as the car in front of you. And the thing you got to do and the place you got to be is really, really important. And you're in that car and you can't believe you've been stuck by these people. Listen, patience is deciding a decision to go the speed of someone else. Patience is a decision to go the speed of another person. It's deciding to gear down and determine to move at, your, at their speed instead of your own speed. And Paul says, "I want you to put all these virtues, all these I want you to put these virtues on every morning. I want you to be generous with these every day. This is what I want you to be known for." And then he summarizes it in verse 13 and he says, "Bear with each other and forgive one another." You just talked about this last week. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord Forgave you. You dug into this last week. What he does is he brings it back to what Jesus taught throughout his ministry. It's that principle of reciprocity. He doesn't say forgive as you've been forgiven by people you're forgiving. He says, I want you to forgive like I have forgiven you. In fact, all of this is I want Jesus, God says, I want you to be compassionate like God was compassionate with you. I want you to be gentle like God has been gentle with you. And I want you to be patient like God has been patient with you. You remember how many times you said to God, I'll never do it again you remember how many times you made deals with God? you remember how many promises you made to God that if he would just come through? And do you remember how many times you broke your promise to God? Do you realize how God has been patient with you? I want you to extend, I want you to be known for extending that same kind of patience to the people around you. And then he summarizes it. By saying, over everything, cover it all with, like a coat, over all these virtues, verse 14, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. In other words, love is the thing, love is the canopy that everything hangs from. This is what I want you to be known for. And and listen, I know this doesn't come naturally, right? I know it doesn't come natural because I turn on the TV every day or I get on Facebook or some other social media. I know it doesn't come natural to us because Jesus said, okay, guys, I'm going to tell you something new. If it was natural, he wouldn't have had to tell them, right? They would have just been doing it because we do what's natural. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to love not the way people deserve to be loved, not the way you think they need to be loved, not the way that you want to love. I want you to love people like I have loved you, and that's not natural. That's why I'm telling you this. It's new. It's not a suggestion. It's a new command, and I want this to be the thing that distinguishes you from the people around you. There was a business executive named Ken Blanchard, and he tells a story of doing a training for 3,000 frontline workers at grocery stores and retail outlets across the country. He talked about the power of words and how what you say and do really makes a difference in people's lives. And about a month after that training, they got a note from a guy named Johnny who was at the training, and he said this. I'm 19 years old, I have Down syndrome, and I work as a bagger at a grocery store. He wrote, I went back to the store and I didn't know how to apply your statements. I, talked, I, I liked your talk, but I didn't know what to do with it. So I went home and I talked with my dad and I got an idea. My dad and I sat down at the computer and every day we come up with a statement that is affirming of people, that's encouraging. If I can't find one in a little quote book, I'll make it up. We type it up six different times on the computer. I print off 50 sheets and I cut all of them up. There's 300 of them. And then every night, Johnny signs each one of them personally, and the next day at the grocery store, he puts them right by where he bags people's groceries. He gets everybody's bag of groceries sacked up, and then on the last sack, he puts in the quote of the day, the encouraging word. And he makes sure he looks them in the eye, and he says, I put something very special in that sack for you today. I hope it'll brighten your day. He'll take them out to the car, help them load up. Johnny does this every single day. About a month after that, the manager of the grocery store called and says, I can't believe it. Something amazing is beginning to happen. I was walking around the store and I noticed that while we had lots of checkers at the checkout line, there was no one there, but maybe one or two people. But the line where Johnny was doing bagging went all the way back to the frozen food section. True story. He said, I'd walk down the lines and tell them that there were other lines open and they could move over to. And people would just look at us and say, no, we'll wait because we want Johnny's encouraging word for the day. One woman came by and grabbed the supervisor and she said, I used to only come to the grocery store once a week or once every other week. Now I come almost every day. I buy something just so I can get Johnny's encouraging word from the day. About a month after that, the manager called again and said, it's changing the entire culture of our store. Even in the floral department, when a flower was broken, they used to just throw it away. And now they walk out into the lines on their own. They pin it on an elderly woman or a young child and just to brighten their day. Listen, there are a lot of people in the organizational chart at that grocery store but there's not one more important person than Johnny the bagger. And the reason is because he's chosen to be different. And because of that, his life has become compelling. And friends, if it can happen in a grocery store, then it should be able to happen in a church. And so make it your goal to leave here today and change the world for someone. Someone who's a stranger or for some lonely person Ask God to lead you, but make it your goal to change someone's world. Imagine if we were a church and we were a people that did not say no to people who were hurting and in need. The truth is the decisions that we make and the challenges that we accept need never end, not until Jesus returns. And our goal should be nothing less than being generous with our lives, generous with our love and changing the world, even if it is just for one person. And choosing to be generous with our lives and our love, it's compelling. It's powerful and it's irresistible and it will capture the attention of people. Listen, this kind of love, this kind of kindness and compassion and gentleness and humility and patience will capture the attention of people, of our friends and neighbors, the people in this community. What do you think it would be like if people in this community would say something like, you know, there's a lot of churches in Indianapolis, but there's just something different about Mount Pleasant Christian Church. The reason is because we are most compelling when we are different from the world. It's because we are most compelling when we look like Christ. It's because we're most compelling when we reflect the one we claim to follow. I think he knows that the single greatest opportunity for ordinary people like you and me to affect the world and to affect people of the world is by simply loving like Jesus loved. Jesus showed up to make a difference and the church is here to make a difference and Christians you and I have been called to make a difference and the difference is made in culture and the difference was made in your homes, the difference is made in your marriage, the difference is made in your kids life. The difference is made in your parents lives the difference is made at your work, the difference is made as you go to the grocery store, the difference is made as you go about life, the difference is made in your community and the difference is made when people sense a genuine love and compassion, an extraordinary kindness, and a gentleness and humility that's accompanied by patience that seems beyond our capability. The difference is made when we are generous with our lives, when we choose to be generous with our love, when we love people the way our heavenly father loved us through Christ, his son. Father, thank you for now, for this moment. And I thank you for your word. that This subtle piece of scripture, this subtle command right at the end of Jesus's life. And he looks at those guys around him and he just says, hey, I need you to be about this. I'm getting ready to leave. Here's one of the last things I want you to know. Here's the way that I've made a difference. I want you to love people the way that I've loved you. Father, we live in a world that is, in so many ways, torn up and hurting, divided. And Father, I pray that we would be a people that would love the way that you have loved us. You know what, it's easy. It's easy to respond out of our strength and and what we think is right. It's a lot harder to just respond in love. Father, there was a day thousands of years ago. Matt talked about it at communion. When your son chose to give his life and it was on that day that love changed the course of the world. It changed the course of history. It actually changed my life. Father, I pray that we would be a people that loves the way our Heavenly Father, the way you, the way Jesus, your son, has loved us and given his life for us. I pray people would see that in our lives, and I pray today that if there are people who have never experienced that love, who have never placed their trust in you, that today would be the day that changes the course of their life, that they would experience love today, your love, in a way they've never known before, and that they would have the courage to take a first step towards you, knowing, Father, that you will be there to walk every other step. We love you, and we thank you for loving us. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.